my wife, kids, and I live in 30 miles or so, outside of town on 100 acres. The house sits half a mile off the main road. My wife wanted the works for security when we got the place, so I did a gate, driveway doorbell, past the gate, cameras at the gate and at the house, alarm system, two new puppies, you name it. I've always lived way out my whole life, so I'm used to the hog squeals, coyote screams, deer huffing, all that jazz. One night around 2 a.m. I heard a loud shatter, and instantly it was covered by the alarm siren for the house. The main keypad is in our bedroom, and I look to see the glass break sensor in our son's bedroom has tripped. I, thinking the worst, grab a shotgun kept for rattlesnakes and run to his bedroom, hollering for my wife to grab our youngest from his crib just in case. I hear my oldest son screaming. I'm shaking so violently I can barely turn the doorknob. My adrenaline fight response has completely taken over. I throw the door open, let out a war cry trying to intimidate a would-be intruder, and my son is clinging to the crib rails and glasses all over the floor. I can just feel the cold winter air snapping through the room. I shut his bedroom door behind me, grab him up, and frantically check the bathroom, his closet, anywhere in the area I thought the intruder would be. I yell for my wife again. Living this far out, we have a system. If someone is ever in the house, and one of us knows, but we don't want to alert the intruder. She gives a response indicating she's alone still and okay. I take my son to my wife and hand her the shotgun, telling her I'll grab the rifle and check around inside and out. I grab a flashlight and my rifle, I scan the entire house. I walk outside and hit the auto lock on the deadbolt. I quickly make my way around to the back side of the house, to the busted window. My adrenaline has started coming down and I'm logically telling myself it had to have been a deer, right? Saw his reflection buck the window. Window broke. That's got to be it. I checked high and low all around the house and never found any indication to what it was. I checked the cameras and couldn't find anything around the house at that time either. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. It took a few weeks for me to let my son sleep in his own bedroom again. I'm positive it was just a deer attacking his reflection. But I've always wondered if someone broke the window and heard the siren and immediately ran. Now there was a blind spot watching that particular window. I've installed more cameras since the incident and I have one that points down each side of the house just to watch windows and entrances. Motion sensing floodlights on all four corners, and my favorite one of our pups sleeps right beside his bed every night. I was a Boy Scout at the time of this experience, now Eagle. And this honestly has to be one of the creepiest things I have ever seen. So I went with a troop, basically a class of scouts, from a local parish to England for 16 days. I stayed and had an amazing time, enjoying the less strict drinking laws that England had to offer and other teenage things. But this happened when I completely sober. I was camping with a whole bunch of scouts from other nations on an estate, and I got up at around 1 a.m. to go take a leak. I'm doing my business and all, when I see what looks to be a man standing 20 feet away from me. I can't make out any features. I just know that he is a person. It was especially creepy because it was just the moonlight illuminating the area, and you could make out the shadows from trees and lanterns and all the other effects. 
but he had no shadow at all. It's like he was completely opaque, jet black. I am standing there just watching him, too terrified with fear to move. Eventually I realize my fly is down and I glance away to fix it, but when I look back up he is about ten feet closer. This is weird to me because it had just been down. Pouring that day, and the ground was completely muddy. I would have heard the distinct sounds of boots or shoes squishing on the mud, but there was none. I book it back into my tent, close the zipper, but I can see him moving closer. I close my eyes and try to sleep, but I can feel fingers running along the side of my tent, trying to feel for something. I wake up my brother and asks if he can hear it, to which he says no and gets mad at me for waking him up. Thinking to myself I must be seeing things, I finally achieve sleep. The next morning I unzip my tent, and the rainfly has been thrown off the tent and is lying next to it. The only way someone could have done that is that they found a buckle underneath the rainfly and undid it. It starts to click in my head that maybe whoever was feeling around the tent also did this, as they would have felt the buckles. Luckily, we left for London that day and never had to camp for the rest of the trip. It made for a good story and something to brag about, but it still freaks me out to this day. When I got out of the Marines, I decided to celebrate by going camping by myself. I was tired of living under someone's thumb and just wanted to be my own man for a while. I went to a secluded spot that requires you to hike in about eight, nine miles on foot. The trail itself was pretty overgrown and it seemed more like a game trail than one people created on purpose. That wasn't the case, but the trail obviously hasn't seen a lot of use. I picked a gorgeous camping spot in alongside of a mountain river. There was no signs of any humans as far as I can tell, nor did I see anyone on my hike in. The first night I was awakened about two in the morning by a coughing sound. It sounded like the kind of cough that people who have been smoking for thirty years had. I peeked my head out of my tent and said, Hello, anyone out there? Silence. After a while I went back to bed. The second night, same thing. This time I got out my flashlight and my e-tool for self-defense and looked around. I didn't see anything. I was calling out anyone out there. I walked to the river, looked around, and then made a square around the perimeter of my campsite to see if I found any tracks or signs on people. Nothing. The morning of the third day, I decided to move camp. I walked probably a mile downstream and found another good spot. That evening, sure enough, same thing. Again, I walked the perimeter and found nothing. The next morning I decided to cut my camping a day or two short because I was getting creeped out. I'm in North Florida, and I've had some weird things happen. Beyond my backyard is about 50 acres or more of woodland that is uninhabited. Beyond that it's rural and not too many people around. You can hear deer, possums, raccoons, and hogs at night tromping through the brush. But there's something else out there every now and then. It walks with the pacing of a person, and loud too, like someone was walking around not bothering to be sneaky about it. I shined a flashlight near the sound like I've done before, because I like to see the wildlife you don't usually get to watch. When I do this, the animals will freeze, and I can sometimes catch a glimpse if they're not too far. This happens with this thing, but the steps never come back. I've spent hours outside after this, and I have never heard a peep after looking for the source. There will also be no sounds of any other critters for quite some time, which is creepy by itself. 
It's unnerving and reaches something deep in you that makes you feel like everything is off. About a year ago, something had begun to terrorize my cats and injured one a bit, but nothing life-threatening yet. One night, my kittens were being attacked and the mama cat was scared, which is the opposite of her nature with them. It was chaos, cats screaming and whatnot. So I got my shotgun and went out. A black cat had chased them up a tree. It was just, sitting at the base of the tree. I can't properly explain the feeling I got from it. It's a pretty regular occurrence to have feral cats come through, and they're fairly dangerous to small animals. I was able to walk up to the back fence where it was about six foot to the tree with my kittens and the asshole cat. It didn't budge when I got close. No fear at all. I shot my shotgun into the brush to get it to run off. Didn't even flinch. At this point, it was my cat's or this stray, so I made the difficult decision to shoot it. From six foot away with a 12-gauge, I missed. I'm a very good shot as I've had a lot of training through law enforcement employment. The damned cat still didn't move. I shot at it two more times with no damage to the cat. It meandered off like nothing had happened. I've tried to figure out how this could be rationally explained, and I've got nothing. During the day, things will get weird, too. If you go for a stroll in the woods, as my four-year-old loves to do, you will find yourself in the eerie silence I mentioned before. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. And you begin to see a figure out of the corner of your eye. It goes from tree to tree, and you never have enough time to turn and look at it. My wife has seen it, too so I know it's not a peripheral artifact of some sort. Once you're being followed by whatever this is, it won't leave you until you leave the woods. The darkness of the underground facility seemed to swallow us whole as we descended into its depths. Our team of seasoned Navy SEALs moved in silence, the weight of our mission heavy on our shoulders. The mission was simple on the surface. Infiltrate the abandoned facility uncover its secrets, and ensure that any potential threat was neutralized. But as we navigated the labyrinthine corridors, I couldn't shake the sense that we were walking into something far more sinister than we had anticipated. The rumors had been haunting us since we received our orders. This facility, hidden in the remote heart of nowhere, was said to be a site of unspeakable horrors. Experiments on human subjects, covert operations that defied all moral boundaries, and a history, Steve, in darkness. We were here to uncover the truth, to ensure that whatever secrets lay within its walls would never see the light of day. As we moved deeper into the facility, strange occurrences began to unfold. Lights flickered and cast eerie shadows on the walls, seemingly mocking our presence. Distant whispers, too faint to decipher, echoed through the corridors, raising the hairs on the back of my neck. The air grew colder, an unsettling chill that permeated our very bones. Despite the fact that the facility's power had long been extinguished, our rigorous training and steely resolve faltered in the face of these inexplicable events. We were Navy SEALs, trained to face danger head-on. But this was a danger that eluded our understanding. We pressed on, our steps echoing through the empty hallways. Every corner seemed to hold a hidden secret, every unmarked door a portal to the unknown. Our skepticism wavered as evidence mounted. Documents hinting at experiments that twisted the boundaries of ethics, 
signs of struggles that had taken place decades ago, and the sense that we were being watched by eyes that were no longer there. Tensions within the team grew as fear tightened its grip. The brotherhood we had built over years of training and missions was now fraying at the edges. Each member grappled with their own understanding of what we were encountering. Were these mere tricks of the mind, manifestations of stress and exhaustion, or was there something more sinister at play? It was during a nightmarish climax that the line between reality and the unexplainable shattered. Objects moved with a mind of their own, shadowy figures materialized only to vanish into thin air, and the distant echoes of voices long past reverberated through the darkness. In the midst of this chaos, we confronted a chilling realization. This facility was not just a relic of the past, but a vessel for the tortured souls that had once inhabited it. Our training had prepared us for combat, for facing enemies that could be seen and understood. But now, faced with phenomena that defied all rational explanation, we struggled to reconcile our elite warrior status with the overwhelming presence of the supernatural. Our resolve was tested as never before, each of us forced to confront our deepest fears and doubts. As we finally emerged from the depths of that facility, our faces haggard and our minds haunted, we carried with us a truth that stretched the boundaries of our understanding. We were Navy SEALs, trained to confront danger head. On but nothing could have prepared us for the chilling reality we had faced. The world may never fully comprehend what we encountered in those dark corridors, but for us the boundary between the natural and the supernatural and the supernatural had forever blurred. I was in North Carolina, South Mountain Park. Followed the trail up to the falls and thought I want to go up there. So I did. Got to the top of the falls and looked down to the kids playing at the bottom. I smiled and continued on and got to the bridge, crossing the river. I thought I was alone, given there was nobody on the trail here. Then I heard a yelp. My head yanked about and I saw a man and woman in the river, about twenty feet upriver from the bridge. Woman was trying to get his attention and was pointing at me. Man was lost in the act. After a minute, he finally looked up, yelled crap and ducked into the water. Like that solved the problem. I continued along the trail and found their clothes and called out, you know, kids are playing in the water downstream. In the water you two are befouling. Maybe you could be decent and go the F home. And kept up the trail for about half an hour before turning back. Clothes were gone. Everything but a pair of panties and a broken watch. Took a stick and knocked both away from the trail. Made my way back down and got to the head of the trail and saw him again. They were speaking to a park ranger. After a few moments, they ran off to a beat-up car. I asked the ranger if everything was okay. He told me the two of them were reporting a man baiting at the top of the falls. I sighed and said, right. I'd like to report those two for having intercourse in the river above the fall and told him where to find the clothes they had left. Doubt anything happened, but still think about it as the trashiest thing I've experienced on a hiking trail. We were hiking in Rocky Mountains National Park and came to a small creek crossing that was just above a 30-feet waterfall. There was a family playing in the creek, way too close to the waterfall. I said something like, Boy, that waterfall is pretty, but they didn't seem to care. They were 10 feet from falling down a waterfall. 
We walked upstream and made our crossing and then heard a big scream and yell. I went back and saw that the father had somehow lodged his leg under a huge rock. He was panicking because he was half submerged under water and the current was pushing him towards the waterfall. I politely told his kids to get out of the water and three of us dislodged the leg and dragged him out of the water. I told him to remove his shoe because swelling was occurring, but he wouldn't listen. He got mad and told us not to touch him. So we let him be and continued on our trip. I was hiking alongside a steep drop-off up switchbacks. A couple comes around the corner with a leashed dog. Somehow she trips, dog leash in hand, and goes over the side. Her guy literally jumps off after her, Superman-style minus the flying capability. The only thing that didn't go over was the dog who was pushing against the edge of the trail to not go down too. The couple was luckily on brush about five feet below the edge, but every try to get up broke roots and they kept getting lower. With others on the trail, we got the dog safe, then used our bodies as leverage, hiking poles, and calm reasoning to get them back over the edge on trail. All was well, but that damn dog was the smartest of the three for sure, and while valiant by the guy, it was the stupidest move I've seen to save a lady. Years ago, a friend and I got started very early in the morning during a very hot summer to hike a local 11,000 peak. We got lost towards the top as the trails were less clear and decided to come back down, made it to be bottom by maybe to be bottom by maybe 3 p.m., Towards the bottom, we ran into these two young men in their early twenties who were just starting out. They each had a water bottle and insubstantial footwear like Chacos or Tevas or something similar for this very difficult hike. They asked us if there was water on the trail, which said was minimal, and they went on their way. In any case, on the news a day or two later, I recognized them. That had inadequate lighting and one of them fell off the side of the mountain and died of his injuries. I think of them often whenever I hear of someone being rescued or killed while hiking. The forest had always been my sanctuary. As a park ranger, I had grown accustomed to the rhythmic sounds of nature, the rustling leaves, the gentle babbling of streams, and the distant calls of wildlife. But nothing could have prepared me for the discovery that awaited me deep within the heart of the park, a hidden lake with an otherworldly aura that would forever change the course of my life. It was a crisp autumn morning when I first stumbled upon the hidden lake. The air was cool and fragrant, the leaves on the trees painting a vibrant tapestry of reds and golds. I was following an obscure, overgrown trail that seemed to beckon me forward, the deeper I ventured, the more an inexplicable sense of anticipation filled the air. And then suddenly, there it was, a shimmering expanse of water nestled within a natural clearing. The lake's surface was so pristine it seemed to mirror the very sky itself. Yet, it was the aura of the very sky itself. Yet, it was the aura that surrounded the lake that held me spellbound. It was as if a veil separated this place from the rest of the world, casting an ethereal glow that defied explanation. I approached the water cautiously, my footsteps muffled by the thick carpet of fallen leaves. As I gazed into the lake's depths, a strange sensation washed over me. A feeling of being simultaneously grounded and weightless, 
as if the boundaries between the physical and the spiritual had blurred. I knew I had stumbled upon something truly extraordinary. My intrigue deepened when I began to hear whispers carried by the gentle breeze. At first, the whispers were faint, like distant echoes that danced at the edge of my consciousness. But as I continued to listen, they grew clearer, forming coherent phrases that seemed to address me directly. Their words were cryptic, filled with riddles that tugged at my curiosity. As word of the hidden lake spread, visitors began to arrive, drawn by the rumors of its enchanting aura. They came seeking solace, hoping to find answers to their own questions in the lake's reflective surface. However, as more and more people swam in the lake, reports of bizarre experiences began to surface. Visitors spoke of lost time, of swimming for what felt like minutes, only to emerge from the water hours later, disoriented and confused. Others described vivid hallucinations that played out in front of their eyes while submerged, as if the lake held the power to project their innermost thoughts onto the world around them. Alarmed by these reports, I felt a responsibility to investigate the lake's mysteries. I spent countless hours researching the area's history, scouring old records and speaking with locals who had lived in the region for generations. It was during these investigations that I uncovered a tragic legend, a tale that was whispered in hushed tones, a cautionary story of love and loss that had been passed down through the years. The legend spoke of two young lovers from rival families who had met secretly at the lake. Their love was forbidden, and the lake became their refuge a place where they could escape the constraints of their feuding families. But tragedy struck when their secret rendezvous was discovered, resulting in a heart-wrenching confrontation that led to their deaths. It was said that their spirits remained trapped at the lake, forever bound to the place where their love had met its tragic end. As I delved deeper into the legend, I began to suspect that the malevolent entity dwelling beneath the lake's calm surface was the vengeful spirit of one of these ill-fated lovers. The lake, with its otherworldly aura, had become a vessel for their anguish and longing, casting a spell over anyone who ventured into its waters. With a heavy heart, I resolved to confront the malevolent entity and break the cycle of sorrow that had haunted the lake for generations. Armed with knowledge from my research and a determination to free the spirits from their torment, I returned to the lake. One moonlit night, I waded into the water, its surface smooth and still as glass. I closed my eyes, allowing the whispers to wash over me, their voices a symphony of pain and longing. As I whispered words of understanding and compassion, a sense of overwhelming sadness enveloped me. Suddenly, a shape began to form beneath the water, an ethereal figure that emerged, its features distorted by sorrow. With a trembling voice, I addressed the spirit, recounting the tragic tale of love and loss that had led to its torment. I spoke of forgiveness and release, urging the spirit to let go of its anger and find peace. The figure wavered, its form becoming less distinct until finally it dissolved into the water, its energy merging with the lake itself. In that moment, a profound stillness settled over the lake, and the aura that had once been so otherworldly seemed to fade. The whispers once haunting had transformed into a gentle breeze that caressed my skin. As I stood in the water, I felt a sense of closure, 
a sense that the spirits had finally found the peace they had long sought. With a final look at the lake, I turned and walked away, my heart heavy but hopeful. The hidden lake was no longer a place of mystery and malevolence. It had become a testament to the power of understanding, compassion, and the human spirit's capacity to bring healing even to the most haunted corners of the world. During high school, my boyfriend and I decided to sneak out one night and head to the lake. It was a secluded spot, and we thought it would be the perfect place to spend some time together, away from the prying eyes of our parents. The night was pitch black, and the only light came from the faint glimmer of the moon reflecting off the water. We found a park bench next to the shore and started making out. As we got more and more into it, I suddenly heard a strange sound coming from the water. I told my boyfriend to stop and listen, and we both went completely silent. The sound was like someone or something swimming methodically, as if they were trying to sneak up on us without being detected. The mysterious swimmer got closer and closer and closer and closer, and my heart started pounding in my chest. I could barely see anything in the darkness, but I could still hear the splashing and feel the tension in the air. It felt like whatever was in the water was about to reach out and touch us. Unable to take it any longer, I let out a scream, and we both jumped up from the bench and ran as fast as we could away from the lake. We didn't stop running until we were sure we were far enough away from whatever had been lurking in the water. To this day, I still have no idea what was in the lake that night. Was it a person trying to scare us, or was it something else entirely? Whatever it was, the memory of that night still sends shivers down my spine whenever I think about it. That experience taught me a valuable lesson. Sometimes, the scariest things can happen in the most unexpected places, and the unknown can be more terrifying than anything else. I have a buddy named Corey, childhood best friend and next-door neighbor. In the summer before 10th grade, we had a sleepover at our mutual friend Marcia's house. Marcia's mom was super chill and always hung out with us. One night she brings over a Ouija board and suggests we play with it. No big deal. Being the music fans we are, we ask it stupid shit. Let me speak to the spirit of Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, etc. The planchette was moving and we all swore it wasn't us doing it purposefully. At one point, Mars asks it to prove it's real. Always a bad decision. From under Mars's bed, 20 pounds free weight slid across the floor and hit an adjacent wall. Freaked out, we stopped for the night. Throughout the next few weeks, we would go to Mars's house, sleep over, through the Awaija board. We decide to set up some basic recording equipment, ask questions, and play the recording back to try and hear things. We did get some faint noises. I'm not convinced it was anything but Mark was. And so Mark got creeped out and gave the board to Corey. Now that Corey had it, him, myself, and his GF at the time, Katie used it much more frequently. We were till asking stupid questions and getting dumb answers. After about three months of this, all of that changed. The Elijah board started responding oddly. We would ask, what's my mom making for dinner? and the board would spell out the rotting corpses in your walls. It would start to try and touch the four corners, make the infinity symbol, and go through the alphabet backwards, all 
bad sign. Corey became obsessed with it. He started doing the Elijah board alone, which is also a bad idea. While using it, he would ask it to do things, and it would stand up on its tip, climb a wall, shoot out from under our hand. The planchette started feeling heavy and would leave drag marks on the board. I got creeped out. I told Corey we should stop. He didn't. Corey, still very interested in things like this, decided to try automatic writing. Where you ask the spirit to use your own motor skills to move a pen and write on paper. Corey, who is left-handed, grabbed the pen with his right hand slightly contorted, starting writing shakily. First the alphabet, then words. Unfortunately, I don't remember exactly what he wrong, but it was scary to see. Corey started acting weird after that. We were in chorus in HS, and while singing, his right hand would move around and practice writing on the sheet music. I remember on day he wrote, Josh wants Katie. Don't let him get here. He would start jabbing me with his pencil when we were next to each other and other weird behaviors. Being both raised Roman Catholic, we were a part of a local youth group that prayed the rosary every Monday night. Corey's dad would drop us off. Mine would pick us up. One night in November, it was raining, and my dad came to pick us up at about 9.30 p.m. Corey decided to decline the ride and said he would get a ride with someone else. Okay. Weird. But whatever. He calls me close to midnight that night and says he blacked out during the prayer meeting and came to while standing on the bridge near our home in the pouring rain staring at the water below. For context, we live in our ISO in November it's cold. Especially at night, especially when it's rainy. At that point, I urged him to get rid of it. After I started trying to get rid of it, after I started trying to get Corey to get rid of it, I started being attacked. I would get woken up in the middle of the night after feeling like someone flicked or tapped me on the forehead. I would get woken up and be half off my bed like I was dragged out. I would wake up and see all my blankets folded on my bureau across the room. I am a very light sleeper. I called Corey and told him I was going to get rid of it myself. He gave me the board that afternoon. The night before I got rid of it, as I was sleeping, I was jolted away. It had felt like something grabbed my arm. The hand felt bony, cold, and like it had very long fingers. I stayed up the rest of the night sitting on my bed, all the lights on, scared shitless. The next day, based on info I found online, I cut the board up into seven pieces and buried them separately in a nearby old historical cemetery. I ended up having a bruise on my forearm for the next two weeks. I haven't had any related instances since. Corey probably has additional info he could add to this as well. But this is all I got. He has mentioned having really messed up dreams and he had other experiences at this time, but I don't know enough to tell them. An old friend of mine and I planned a trip to Isle Royale in 2008. We have been on a couple of adventures together. Boundary Waters Appalachian Trail. So this was just another awesome week to get away and enjoy the outdoors, which we did end up doing, but man did we have one hell of a time. On the third night, I was out going to the bathroom when I thought I heard something move a few yards away. I stopped for a moment and almost went to investigate, but decided that it was nothing and headed back to camp. 
That next morning we packed up camp and while getting ready, my buddy, David, called me over to him. He was right outside our campground and he pointed out two sets of wolf tracks. I about shit myself realizing what that noise was the night before. So we finished packing our bags and kept hiking. Neither David or I would wander more than ten yards away from one another from that point on. The last night we were getting our bags set in a tree so the bears and mini bears wouldn't get to them. When all of a sudden my friend said he saw something move. I looked and didn't see a thing but I didn't question him. We grabbed our flashlights, stoked the fire. Neither of us slept that night. I didn't see anything or for that matter hear anything that night. Once the sun came up, we got our packs down and cleaned up our campsite. When we were about to leave, David went and checked the place. He thought he saw something. Sure enough, man, this dude found another set of tracks. I finished packing my shit. We got to the docks and I looked at him and said, Never again, to this day, neither of us have gone camping.